Spirits of French Lick is proud to introduce the Lee Sinclair Four Grain Bottled and Bond Bourbon. This four-year-age, double-pot distilled, non-chill filtered bourbon has creamy, round, and lifting notes with caramel and vanilla, followed by apple, mint, graham cracker, and ginger, as well as cardamom. The finish is slightly French walnut, resolving the sweet, fruity, almost ground cherry and white pepper. Our spirits are available for tasting and purchase inside the French Lick Winery and Distillery. Spirits of French Lick. Respect the grain. Please enjoy responsibly. Hey, Scotchy Bourbon Boys fans, this is Alan Bishop, Indiana's alchemist of the Black Forest. So I'm tuning in here today to tell you all about the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute channel on YouTube. If you're at all interested in the art of distilling, whether it be home distilling or professional distilling, and the intense geekery that goes into that process, then check out the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute on YouTube. I promise you're going to learn something you didn't know before about the arts. of the Scotchy Bourbon Boys. Tonight is a very, very exciting podcast. <laughs> that was Kenny Fuller. That was Kenny Fuller of the Old Americana Band. Uh, and uh, thank you, Kenny, for doing our theme song. I got to appreciate that every time. But we're the Scotchy Bourbon Boys, Boys for all Scotchy Bourbon Boys things. We've got Glenn Cairns. We've got T-shirts. We've got refrigerator opener Scotchy Bourbon Boys Wood Magnets, <laughs> and then uh, make sure that you follow us on all the social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, X, or, and then listen on all the podcast formats, mainly iHeartRadio, Apple, and Spotify. Um, check us out. Ask Alexa, ask Siri. You can get there. Listen to the Scotchy Bourbon Boys. But tonight, in studio, we have Ed Lay. What? Blah. Okay, so so I say it like 15 different times, you know, and if you've ever listened to the podcast, I suck at names. At least I got you like to the point where I know you're Ed. <laughs> so, okay, so, Ed Bly. so thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, we got to have dinner tonight before. It was really cool. Uh, there's not too many people that have come down in studio uh, to promote their um, their brand and drive four and a half hours through a snowstorm to get to the studio. So I really thank you for coming in. Uh, it's been, uh, thanks so much for being on. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. 
And then we also have Super Nash joining us. <laughs> yes. So great to meet you. Glad you're on and glad you made it through the snowstorm, bro. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So get it. Yeah. Go, I, that's just uh, when you were when when I looked. It was like it looked like it was done where you were. Yeah, we got but, a nice night mostly. But then there's this 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 Yankee. They call it a Yankee Clipper, and it's in between me and you. And I'm watching it, and it's never ever touching us. And it's not anymore where you got last night. But you had to go in between it. But it didn't look like it was going to be that bad, right? I survived. Okay. I survived. <laughs> so so start us off. You know what? You know how did you how did you get into this? Ooh, I'm gonna start at the very beginning. Um, 2013, 2014. Um, a friend of mine, Kyle Dines, started a group called the Whiskey Barrel Society, based out of Columbus, Ohio. And um, I was in that group with him, and we and a couple other admins were really just big fans of bourbon and wanted to get it going. Right, wanted to get a group of enthusiasts and. We had seen a couple private barrels get picked, so it was a dream of ours to pick a private barrel. And, you know, this is back when when whiskey was just starting to really ramp up again, right? Um, And so we ended up picking a couple. They had picked a couple barrels of Four Roses, and I had literally just moved back up the week. uh, The week they came into Cork and Bottle, I had just moved back up from Texas that week. And so we were sitting in the middle of Cork and Bottle at a table in the middle of the liquor store trying these whiskeys, and I noticed there was a... Some people standing over in the bourbon section, and they had the classic bourbon pose where they had one hand on the hip, the other hand on their jaw, their head cocked to the side, was staring at a wall of whiskey and having absolutely no idea what they were looking at. So much fun. Plain as day. You can see that plain as day home mile away. So I asked Tim, uh, Tim, the manager, uh, the general manager at the time, I said, Timmy, can we go help him? And he goes, sure. He didn't care. And so I walked over there, and I started talking to him for a minute, and I asked them what they liked, and we connected, and I started telling them some of the things I liked about whiskey, and some of the, and then they asked me what brands I liked, and so I pointed out some bottles, and they ended up literally purchasing six bottles. And Tim was standing there with his jaw on the floor, and he says, how did you do that? I said, it's whiskey. It's fun. I enjoy talking to it about people. He goes, do you need a job? Uh, I literally had just moved back up, and I was looking for a career at that point when I moved back up, um, and uh, and I, I didn't have a job, and I said, sure, I'll, I can work here for a little bit until I find something a little bit more permanent. Before that, I'd been working for a neurosurgeon. Um, so it's quite a big change. In- I don't know. That's about right. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's about the same. Yeah. Same kind of stuff going on. <laughs> so, so, so I came and I started working. And I literally was stocking shelves and just selling hand selling bottles to people that would come in. And I noticed that the store was a bit of a shambles. And I come to find out that the store had been through bankruptcy. Um, the, the previous owners were the Hughes. I don't know if you're familiar with the Hughes or not. You heard of a brand called Age Hirsch? No. Never heard of them? <laughs> the Hughes started I haven't Age been Hirsch. hanging around Brad long enough. <laughs> well, the Hughes started Age Hirsch, and uh, they were a huge whiskey family. And when they got out of the business, uh, the, the, the father had passed, and the, the, the siblings ended up getting out of the business. The stores got split up, and one of them went to um, the Gallensteins, which is the original one. They call it Uncorked, now down by the river in Cincinnati. Well, it's in northern Kentucky. And then I worked at the one that was on Buttermilk Pike. And while I was there, I started off just stocking shelves. But I quickly, I had a passion for whiskey. I knew a lot about it. And I was the one in the store that knew it, so everybody would come to talk to me. So eventually they made me in charge of all the spirits and the, and the beer department there. And when they did that, we were going through a management change at the time, so I really didn't have too much of a boss at the time. 
So I kind of got the chance just to do the things that I wanted to do. And that's dangerous when you have an enthusiast in charge of the liquor department, right? <laughs> so, so we had fun with it, and we turned it into a lot of fun there. Really, you had fun. I had a lot so of you fun. had so you had, but but you had fun with it instead of becoming ornery and cranky and telling everybody that they can't and they're and trying to hold back stuff. You just had fun, right? Well, so I learned the secret was to hide everything in the front of the store, and that way, when you tell everybody there's nothing in the back, you weren't lying. Right. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, hey, you got Blanton's. Uh, so, <laughs> as funny as that is, <laughs> so we had a lot of fun with it, and I realized that the the customers were our livelihood at the store. Right. Without them, we had no store. Without customers, we didn't sell anything. So we turned all of our focus from appeasing all the reps that were coming into the store to appeasing the customers that were in the store. And we made them feel special, made them feel at home, and made them feel part of something that was unique and different. And they responded in spades. And so there, would, anytime I would release any private picks, there would be huge lines out front. And I mean huge. Uh, we, yeah. had, we had a one line one time that was over um, 750 people camped out over 24 hours to pick, up, to pick up a bottle that I blended called Old Bali 2. How many bottles did you have? 1,100 bottles. We sold it out in an hour and a half. And the only reason it took that long is because we only had two cash registers. And then the people that were there had to go through the line a second time. A few was it them one had, per yeah, person? It was and then, yeah. one per person. And they had the opportunity if they wanted to. I mean, it was a no-brainer at that point. Everybody just picked it up as fast as they could. So what's your opinion on bourbon lines? I love them. Right. I absolutely love them. I see we people. Carl Secret Cake coming in. I see a lot of people talk about. Um, we the, got Carl coming in. Yeah. Okay. I see a lot of. Uh, I see a lot of people talk about um, some of the annoying aspects of bourbon to the stores, like people asking for a product all the time or people camped out in front. I couldn't wait to see the people out there. It was the most fun that I had the entire time I worked was interacting with the customers. I took it as an opportunity to get to know the people that were spending money in our store, make them feel special, help them find the things that they wanted to have, have, have them find special things. We did hide-and-seeks. We were the first store to ever do that. You want to talk about fun? That was an absolute blast. So on social media, right, I would put a picture of limited edition bottles that I hid throughout the store. No cold boxes, none of the refrigerators, and no closed boxes. And I would hide, you know, 15, 20 bottles throughout the store of Bottles that literally everybody wanted. Everything up to like a George T. Stagg or a Van Winkle. It didn't matter. And we sold them at retail. And I would post on social media, hide and seek. And I'd post a picture of that. And no less than 20 minutes later, there was literally a thundering herd of people that would come busting through the doors. The absolute best part about this whole thing, right, were the normal people in there buying vodka. Had no idea what was going on. And then all of a sudden, a herd of people come running through. And they're on their hands and knees, moving bottles out of the way furiously looking through everything and these people are looking down at their vodka and looking up at all these people and looking down at their vodka going what is going on <laughs> it was the absolute best there's still doors stores to this day that do that i think southern wine and spirits still does that uh there's a there's a store in uh fort mill south carolina that uh the one one and only time and they still do it but uh, i went about a year ago and they still do it and i was amazed when because i stopped in there i was working and I got to talking with the owner, and he says, hey, why don't you come down next Saturday? We're doing a hide-and-seek. I said, what are you talking about? And he tells me what's going on, and I was like, holy shit, I am coming back. And I went back for it, and it was the wildest Easter egg hunt for uh, allocated bourbon bottles I've ever seen in my life. 
and it was so much fun and watching all the people go go through that store and then just the amount of business that he generated off of that and then talking with the people too and i had a ton of scotchy bourbon boys cards but it was so much fun it was unreal and yeah so i know exactly what you're talking about it's a blast and the lines to me were fun because i had a chance to meet other enthusiasts so before i actually worked at liquor store i camp out the lines too I was at um, the 2013 Van Winkle release for Party Source, and there was there was probably five or six hundred people in that line. I met um, Larry Pierce and and Tim, um, the Bourbon guys. Uh, I met all kinds of people from the area. We had a chance mm-hmm. to share pours with people, tried some of their picks they had done, and it's amazing the community. Well, the cool the cool the coolest. That's what I was showing Jeff. You know, when when I got into it and and came up to Jeff, and uh, I was telling him about how I found these. Started finding bottles, and that's why they called me Super Nash because I was the bourbon hunter of the group, and I would go hang out in lines and stuff like that. But that was the fun part was meeting all these people, you know, the whole time or hanging out half the night, you know, because all all of us would bring special bottles and like that, and just hang out and just kick back, drink special bourbons all night long or, or half the night, you know, and talk and just cut up and just have a good time. And you meet so many cool and friendly people. And then I showed Jeff what it was all about and how to do it. And then he he got immediately turned on and then found that it was such, such a good time networking and meeting the people that in the group. Uh, and as a matter of fact, he met, I think, Carl sitting in line one time. Yeah. I mean, it really came down to once he showed me that I wanted I, I want. To get the bourbon, but the main reason why I go would go in line is to meet the people, and when they meet you and know you do a podcast, start listening to you, then meet you again in line. It helps bring in people who want to listen to the podcast. Plus, they become your friends, right? But the coolest line experience was I had been at Heaven Hill probably four or five times waiting in line, and a bunch of times like you're sitting there, you know, you're waiting for it to open, and all of a sudden someone coming in for a barrel pick comes in. And you're just looking at them going while they're going in. You're like, God, that would be so much fun. And you see. And then one time, Connor O'Driscoll just came walking, you know, and he went in. And, I, and I'm like, I think that's Connor O'Driscoll. But nobody said anything or whatever, right? So I get on a, a barrel pick for Kentucky Bourbon Festival with Connor and uh, Randy Press uh, of uh, – you know, the, the president of Kentucky Bourbon Festival, our president also for the Scotchy Bourbon Boys. And we're, we're waiting at the door, and there's the line. And I said to Randy, I said, hold on. And I went over there and handed out all my cards. And I'm like, hey, guys, I'm usually in this part of the line. I get to get, you know. So it was really kind of cool to have come that full circle to be able to go in, see the guys in line, but then just go over there and, you know, know that that's that's part of who you are and everything. So, and I got to hand out just as many cards. And then that it's like, I think it worked better because then they saw me go in for a Kentucky bourbon festival pick, you know? So those are the kind of fun things about lines, but we should go. Okay. So you, you were doing this at the store and everything. And then. So I got ramped up. And once we did old Baldy too, I got 6,000 private messages the week we re- released it. In fact, I had somebody count them because I was really curious. It was over 6,000 private messages that week, and I started realizing that 
you know, if I'm going to go on to the next steps, I got to get to the point where I'm able to actually do some work <laughs> instead of answering messages nonstop all day long. So, so I decided that at that time it was time to go and start rising time, which is what I left and did. Um, and before I left, I got, uh, I hired Eric Boland over cork and bottle. He took over my spot there. And before I left, I got on the airport spot over in Cincinnati airport. Um, and so the, since then, they've got a second airport location now. they got two spots in the airport. So it's pretty neat. It's doing really well, doing well, I guess. Yeah. So then you go out and start this, right? Yeah. So talk about... This was an interesting deal. Because I think whenever you start, whenever you start to do something major, you, you think of all the positive sides. You don't think of the negatives that are going to happen along the way. Right? Right. And I think that's difficult because I ran into, you know, everything didn't go according to plan for me. When I left Cork, I had a plan. I had people I was talking to about investments, and then COVID hit. And the people I was talking to heavily about investments were also heavily invested in the hospitality industry. And so my investment went away. Yeah. And so what do you do? In the middle of COVID, I'd already quit at Cork and Bottle. I could have just thrown up the white flag and gone to work at a liquor store somewhere else and walked right on it there. But I didn't. I'm like, you know what? You know, I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to grit my teeth. I'm going to bear down. I'm going to figure it out. And I did. And and the business partners that I have are fantastic. They've been amazing. They've helped us every step of the way. We turned down so many products to get to the one we're at now. Like I turned down some 15 years, some 17 years, and just things that I didn't think were up to par. And so I had the opportunity at something completely unique, something nobody else has out on the market, something that's not being made anywhere else, something that nobody else even has something similar to on the market at this point. And that's what we went with. Okay. And so uh, you've, you know, you started in 2018. Mm -hmm. COVID hits. Now we're through COVID, which... You know, it's funny because I remember when they said something about. So, I, as the podcast, as a podcaster, we had started in uh, November of 2019 is when I started the podcast. Uh, we had formed the group in August of 2018. The Scotchy Bourbon Boys, it, it, you know, evolved and had meetings, but we had gone to Kentucky Bourbon Festival in September, and we came back and we're like, I had done an art podcast. I do. I'm a I'm an artist and had done that for 11 years, so I knew what to do on YouTube. I knew I knew what to do, so I said, "Well, let's do it on whiskey because it just makes sense to do this on whiskey because there's so many more people that drink whiskey." <laughs> so we started doing the podcast, and when COVID hit, although I was the the first month month was March, there was the close down. I was kind of stunned and didn't know what I what what to do. You know what I mean? Um, but all of a sudden, we started doing some because. Nobody was doing anything. We would do these lives and just get this massive amount of people watching. And all of a sudden, the podcast started to, that we had been doing, started to get more and more people. And, you know, it was like, and all of a sudden, it started to do that. Now, um, coming out of COVID, it kind of then, when everybody was going back to work, it plateaued down. And then you got to see where you kind of really were. But it was like the opposite for for the, the podcast. But now that we're out of COVID and everybody seems to gotten back to at least a some sense of normal. And, you know, every, you know, we've got skyrocketing prices as far as, you know, what used to be $27 is now $49.99, you know, but at the same time, it's still going strong at the moment. 
But talk about um, how you got so you you purchased these barrels. So once you purchased them, what when did you purchase them? What you know, we're 2018. At what point did you start purchasing barrels? Mm-hmm. Not really certain when the actual date on that was. It wasn't been, been maybe about a year now. Is it a lot different than doing a barrel pick? Yeah. Oh my god, night and day difference. Most places when you go to pick, uh, when you go to purchase whiskey, they only let you sample a few. This one was way different. The people that I worked with on this one, I've known for a long time. They're great friends, and they let me drill a lot of barrels. I drilled over 60 barrels before I purchased them. In a day? Oh, yeah. So, But I didn't try them all that day. I just drilled them. You drilled them? Yeah. Well, that... Explain that. <laughs> so, well, sample bottle. Yeah, but I mean, what what were you like using some sort of like, you know, a drill? No, 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 uh, uh, a water finder to find which ones you're gonna. No. Uh, does this look good? Does that? I wouldn't even know where to start. Just uh, randomly drilling when you've well, got a huge selection. Well, if I'm purchasing a lot of barrels, I want a random selection. I don't want a specific selection. Okay. I want to know what they're all going to be like, not what the best ones are going to be like. I want to know what I'm buying. So I, I randomly drilled all of, all over 60 of them. I think it was like, I think it ended up being like 82 or 84 total. Well, I think that's very interesting. But yeah, so I went through and I tried them. Listen, every distillery, right? Let's, let's put the myth to rest. Well, Ross, Ross Cornelison, who is the master distiller at Barton's, yeah. Probably now that this is whatever kind of experiences a lot of what he has to do now that, you know, he's part of this large place of how you got to, you can't just be picking the best of the best. Where, where does the other stuff go, right? Right. Like we were talking about earlier, it's like every distillery makes good products and they make products that aren't so good. It's just the nature of the business. Not every barrel you produce is going to be a rock star. In fact, it's a fact that it won't be, Right. We know that not every single barrel produced at any distillery is a rock star. That's why we do barrel selections, right? Otherwise, they could just send you a barrel. If you didn't have to pick them because every single one of them was awesome, you wouldn't have to do a barrel selection. The truth is, is we go through barrel selections because they're not all awesome. So to me, the important part is who is the last person to touch the product before you taste it as a consumer? Well, plus also what could be awesome to one person could be shit to another i mean it's just the there's you know i understand but there's people who just have average average pellets picking barrels and they just right. they get a whole barrel and they're happy because they like what they pick correct if you like it drink it right yeah so the difference is when you go to a, a liquor store and you go to a specific store because they're personally constantly picking the barrels that you enjoy and then there's a lot of other people that also enjoy those same products. Now we're on to something, right? And that's kind of the situation I was into. So when I was at Cork and Bottle, I had the opportunity to not only pick barrels, but I had the opportunity to blend barrels. So I blended an old Weller Antique that had three barrels blended together. It's called Sweet Harmony. I blended um, Old Baldy, Old Baldy too. So I had an opportunity to work with whiskey, see what happened with it when I married it, see how the time affected it. See how the proofing affected it, see how the filtration affected it, see what barrels work better with other barrels. I really have an opportunity to work with everything. Look, but that's a skill, you know. It's a developing skill. A developing skill. But the part that's probably the hardest, I think, is that I even asked when, you know, I was tasting um, on a barrel pick with uh, with Freddie. We were doing the Knob Creek for the the Kentucky Brew. And he had 
the little book there, but he also had some some bourbons that he was, you know, that different ones. And he said, mix this with this. And so we tasted the two. And when we put the two together, all new flavors. Yeah. Like not even any of the flavors that were in the other two, Correct. all new flavors. And the old flavors were gone. And he said that is one of the things that he loves about doing it. And then sometimes he hates about doing it because he thinks he's almost there and you can, all it takes is one and then shit's gone. You right. know, right? Yeah, that's 100% true. Ross, you're spot on too. I do, I taste my products just to know where they're at throughout the entire process. I got to know where what's going on with them, right? I want to know. I want to understand as an enthusiast before even working with the brand. So you're spot on. I drill just for science a lot. <laughs> just for science. That's a... I think that's. I think there there should be a brand that that's the the, the just for science. Yeah. We did it just for science. <laughs> I think they're doing that down at Buffalo Trace Ross's company down there. Scott, that's called the Last Drop or something like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's that's you're you're exactly right, Ross. I I do. I taste my products all the time. I want to know when they're at their best. I want to know when they're not at their best. I want to know what type of year it is. I want to know which barrels are getting the most oxygen and how it's affecting them. I want to know everything. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, Bar and Grill fans, it's Jim with Madhouse Bar Talk, where me and my co-host sit around and talk about the things going on around Madhouse Bar and Grill in Elyria, Ohio. The whole conversation is unscripted, uncensored, and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby. Well, you brought everything now. So, did you just drill these barrels before you came? And now we got four. We're going to do it for science. So we're going to do this for fun. (laughs) For fun, okay. But then I'll tell you what they are after we're done. But I wanted you to blend these, and I'm going to blend these, and we're going to work with the same barrels, and you're going to see how different the product is that comes up with it. Yeah, and then you're going to understand why the blenders are so important at distilleries. (laughs) I'm not going to get into, but there's a distillery. That uh, locally in Ohio, that was, in my opinion, producing some inferior whiskey. Then they changed their staff. That's where I jumped in. Started producing from the same freaking, you know, you know, um, inventory. Some fantastic bourbon. Some of the barrels they got rid of because they just weren't they 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 would never be up to standard but there was some but overall from that inventory started producing some great stuff and then when they left it went right back to where it was so there's there's something to be said not only about the blender but the blending team and who's tasting because you need that there otherwise you you know you got I'm sure you're the guy from what I met, you know, know of you. In the end, you're the guy that's going to be going giving thumbs up or thumbs down. But I'm, I, I know you're asking as you go along using other people, right? Just you. Don't have anybody else try it at all. Well, there you go. That's how. That's even. That's even a, a bigger thing. You're, you're fucking nuts. That's a lot of whiskey to a drink. Lot of pressure. Yeah, I say that in a good way. All right, I was not meant to be it's a, a lot of pressure. So when when my stuff. So, so when you first you can't dumped, blame it on your friend. No. And the worst part, right? Okay, so check this out. It had been a minute since I had blended, right? So I had forgotten the worst part about blending is when you first dump barrels. They fight like crazy in the tank. It is 
terrible how it turns out when you initially dump barrels. It takes them a long time to actually mingle together and to join together into a cohesive product. Days, like multiple days. Dude, is there a, 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 a you know, something that stirs it? Uh, some, an what agitator? Is that? An is agitator that, a little bit? Some people do that and other people don't. I don't want it to agitate. I want it to chill, personally. And the reason I want that to happen That's is my because, role, by the way. There you go. <laughs> That's my role. I'm the agitator. There you go. This is whiskey. Whiskey. This is this is Ed. How you doing? <laughs> nice to have you. And I communicated a little bit, which is how I end up with this uh, attractive tube that is pointed the correct way, as opposed to the one in front of Tiny. Um, it's nice that you can read it, Tiny, but no one else on the podcast can. They're not supposed to. It actually says it on the title. <laughs> So when when those barrels are in there fighting, right, it turns not good. So they pulled me a sample right away says we dumped them. And I went home and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to test this out and see how I did. And I went, oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and so for about a week, I didn't sleep. My hair fell out even more. I'm going, oh, Lord, what did I do? I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> and so after a while and things start to calm down, then you're like, okay, okay, okay. I remember everything's we're good. We're in a good spot. <laughs> but there was a moment of pure panic there for the first week that I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> well, but just uh, all I can tell you is you when also it's so hard. One, you're what how you're you, some days your palate's really good. Other days your palate there's on and off days and you got to be able to identify that 100 percent. But also I find when I thief from a barrel mm-hmm. and I'm with Connor O'Driscoll or Bernie Lubbers. I'm in such a freaking good mood that what I'm tasting is even at a different level, but then it's chilled out of that barrel. Yeah. So chilled whiskey is delicious, but that's not how you want to probably be, because that's not how it's sold or whatever. And, mo- you know, so you, <laughs> there's all that to go into it, right? So when I taste whiskey, right, what I'm tasting for is what it's doing to my mouth. It's less about the overall flavor of the whiskey. It's more got to do with the feeling the longevity of the feeling, the slickness in the top of my tongue versus a roughness like a cat. Um, if the sides of my mouth are watering, if there's sweetness on the tip, those are the things I'm looking for. The flavor, so when I go to pull barrels and I'm pulling them based on flavor, I've done that already. So now I'm working with to, to, to take that product and take it and round it out the rest of the way to where it's perfect for me. And when I'm, when I'm thinking about whiskey, what I want is an exciting nose, something that makes me excited to taste the product. If I'm not excited smelling it, I'd stop immediately because it's like Jimmy Russell told me. He says, you know, it's a lot like when you go to a fancy restaurant. And this made so much sense to me. And he says, you can have a plate of food that's arranged nicely in front of you. You can have the same exact food on a separate plate just thrown together next to you. And the one that's arranged nicely is always going to taste better. To me, your nose is that nicely arranged plate. If it gets you excited to taste the whiskey, the whiskey is going to taste better. Now, that nose can be a bunch of different ways. I've smelled whiskeys that are completely different and are still great. All over. <clears throat> sometimes, yeah, sometimes the nose doesn't match. We used to have a guy on here that the nose had to match. That's how it had to be perfect. It's called disconnected. But, but yeah. at the same time, I will say that, yes, I might not, What? but there's been a couple where the nose wasn't that great. Like, I was like, whatever. But the flavor was such a surprise, mm-hmm. but that was, that's far and far and few. A lot of times if it doesn't, if it's not going to smell good, sometimes it can be all right. Right. But there was every once in a while, you're just like, wait, what? Wait, 
what? <laughs> you know what I mean? So th- there's that. But like so you said, exactly. But you don't have time to be going through a billion. It's like if it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, so to me, it's like I want to be competing with the best in the market. I don't just want to be a good whiskey. I want to be talked about as one of the best in, in the market. That's always my goal. So I, I don't want a good but product. So it's good but or it's good for a or I don't want that. I want it's just good. So to me. Yeah, with you don't want to have anything to do with the but. No buts. <laughs> <laughs> and so every. every yeah, your, your rule is very similar to the uh, Tiny's rules of dating in college. If nose isn't good, he's just not excited to taste it. So <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Whiskey's in. You notice he's got, he's in our, he's with us. That's, he, that's Yeah. So. It's weird. That's it. Anyway. It's awesome. So. All right. All right. So. You got this info. So what do you want to do? Do you want to first do the old stubborn while we, sure. we're, you know, and then yeah. we'll do the, start doing the blending for all yeah. the, yeah, for the whiskey nerds. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's do that. So we'll do old stubborn first. So I went through 84 barrels to pull the 11 that we married for this. In this marriage, they are almost all equal years with the exception of one less 13-year barrel. The reason there's one less is because it was a little bit tannic. So I didn't want as much of the tannins from the 13-year. So when you say tannic, are you talking about the wood tannins where it's like it was just, is that like on the flavor palette for anybody that's like it, you're really tasting the oak? But it's like a bitter oak, not it's a, a it's sweet a oak. Yeah. Astringent, yes, that's a really good. Um, let's put that back there. Do you think it's gonna? All right. How about this? Is that good for you, there, buddy? Turn it sharp, just a little bit towards the end, like that. A little bit more. A little bit. That's there right. you go. Did you just turn it in front of my face? <laughs> I just got to, got the old stubborn spot on. Okay, now talk about I'm doing this. Talk about your bottle. It's it's a really nice bottle. I love it. Nice nice topper. Yep. It's got now the price point on this is high. There's no doubt about it. Like and it, but you know you're talking limited run. It's not priced out of any market because right now there's a lot of whiskeys like this, but. You know, what? talk about Old Stubborn and what we're about to taste. So we didn't cut any corners with our packaging, with the product. I figured that, you know, honestly, if I'm going to make an impact in the market, I need to do it with a product that matches what we're trying to accomplish. And not only does the product have to match it, but the packaging has to match it as well. And so I saw the bottle. I love the bottle. I realized it hadn't been used very much in market. Um, I love the tops and the crystal tops. It's just something different. It's nice. I like the nice look. It's a heavy bottle. It's just, it's just nice. Let's do this. You know, the other thing I like you is that you, to, uh, you wanted the curtains to match the drapes. Well, yeah, and then the other thing is is that at some point, if we ever do private selections, I didn't want uh, stickers galore all over it either, so we made sure that it was unstickable <laughs> on the sides, to be quite honest. <laughs> the, well, if you're going to do stickers, put it on the... The team don't give any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you you drinking there whiskey too? You sampling along with us tonight? Yeah, I'm one of the people that went out and bought a bottle. Super Nash went out and bought a bottle, and he lost and it. <laughs> and then I I helped him find it. That was a fucked up conversation in that morning, man. 
It was Monday morning. We we're all back. We had we had or Tuesday morning because we stayed Monday, and and it's Tuesday morning. He's like, I forgot the bottle. I'm like, call the hotel. I was, I was back here at my house, and I was unpacking all all of the bottles that I had brought back, and all, and it was like. Holy shit! Where where's the bottle? I mean, I'm going through everything. I'm ripping every box apart, every bag. I had all the bottles lined up across it in through here, and it's like, where's it? Where the fuck is it? It's like it's gone. It's gone. And then I realized it hit me. I know exactly where it's at. I know exactly where it's at. And sitting right on the corner of that of that end of that counter, right inside the door. Uh, because when Brad and his wife got there, they said, why don't you go back and take it back across to the hotel instead of carrying it around with you while we walk around tonight? I was like, perfect idea. So I ran back across to the hotel, stepped inside the door, set it right down inside that black bag, right there on that black counter, right beside that black, uh, uh, whatever you call it. And it was like just blended right in with it. Yep. And it was like we didn't even we didn't even think of it walking out. And just uh, yeah. Ed said that that's where Taylor Swift's. If I would have known that, I would have told I would have told you Taylor Swift took it. And that's what that was. <laughs> Thank goodness she helped the Kansas City Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I mean Kelsey was playing out of his mind. I guess I guess if you're dating. Taylor Swift, that you can feel pretty good about yourself, right? right. Yeah, it's not. She's you know, for whatever reason, there's a reason to like her. Right. I mean, mo- there's not, but overall, there's at least one. Anyways, and sh- if she if she did steal it, then she'd have some damn good weeded bourbon. So let's get into what the mash and what now. Someone asked, um, can you say where you're sourcing from? But at the same time, we can't. You know, it's an area. So listen, let me explain sourcing to you. Sourcing one one really, really easy. If you know the source, um, either you don't know the source and you think you know the source, or if you do know the source and they disclose it, they're not buying it from the source, which means you're paying too much for that whiskey. That means they bought it from somebody else that bought it from the source, which means it stepped on twice. So, <laughs> so you don't, and the truth is, is that if the source mattered, if it really mattered, you wouldn't have to ask who the source was. Well, there, there. <laughs> that explains Traveler all in one, right there. Traveler whiskey. And if you have to ask who it is, it doesn't matter, right. even though it's got Harlan Wheatley's name on it. Right. Yep, there we go. Um, that's great. So, um, is it distributed in the Chicagoland area? You could, t- so, John. Yeah. You can, I think, still get it on um, the Bourbon Concierge if they have any left. They're the last place that has it. Uh, the bourbon concierge or uh, uh, sharedpour.com. It's the, the same people. So they're the two places they have it. I think Sealbox is sold out now. All right. So that's awesome. And Brad, Hi, Brad. welcome in. Uh, and uh, he sold out almost right away. I think it, the, I was there in the pre sold out on the pre sale. It was less than an hour. The miles they had reserved were gone. Yeah, that was, that's crazy. So I appreciate you holding on to my bottle for me. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, now, what is the, this is a weeded barrel strength. Go into the details of it because it's, it's fantastic. And we're going to go into the details and then we're going to go into the instructions. Ah, the details, it's an 11 barrel marriage. Um, there is 10, 11 and 13 year cash strength weeded bourbon in it. It's pot still. It's barely filtered at all. The only thing we used was a screen 
just to catch the chunks that were coming out of the barrel. But uh, aside from that, there's no other filtration. We didn't even use a micron on it. So you didn't, okay. All right, so let's try I thought that. they only allowed um, 11 barrel marriages in Utah. Yeah, yeah, well, it depends on who the preacher is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so when when I when you contacted me on this, and I was we had we had met briefly at uh, Revival. We'll, we'll shoot out a promo uh, for Brad. Brad, if you haven't been to Revival in Covington, it is a vintage bottle shop with an awesome owner. And he basically has been killing it. And you get to taste for reasonably prices, for reasonable prices, uh, a lot of vintage whiskey. And so if you're not or haven't been into, you will be after you visit Revival. So absolutely. So so you contact me and you're like, hey, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) And uh you're like, you want to try this? And I'm like, yeah, I definitely do. I'm, I don't, I, I per, personally, I don't turn down too much, but um, you're like, you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to get this to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He got like, I'm going to get this to you. And then it went a little bit because you were busy and everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, we contacted a couple weeks later and you're like, I'm sending this out. So as it comes up, he goes, once you get it, I got to tell you about it. So the greatest part is he's like, and we, and this is right before I, we went down to where we, we lost Nash's bottle, but this, we, I had gotten it and I had in, uh, you're like, open it, but don't drink it. He goes, you got to wait at least three days, 36 hours. And I'm like, Hmm. I mean, I'm like thinking to myself, well, I can taste it. Can I taste it just a little? And I'm yeah. I was like, no. 36 hours. And so I get it. I, I contacted you. I said, I opened it and I'm going to wait. And so I, I was doing it. But in that 36 hours, I went to revival and it's, is it Justin? Wait, who's, um, Brad's guy behind the bar. Do you remember Nash? I think so. I think it's Justin. Hey, Brad. (laughs) Is it Justin? Yeah, I think so. Uh, let us know if we're right or wrong, Brad, if you're still there. Justin. Justin? Okay. Anyways, so we're we're down there, and he's like, you want to try it? And I'm like, when was it open? He goes, well, I just opened it this morning. And I'm like, Jason. Thank you, Brad. Jason, <laughs> sorry. It's like, you know, I suck at names, but I should remember Jason. Um, and he's, your words. You suck at those, too. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, Jason is, yes, he is killing it, uh, was just down there. Um, but Jason's like, just this morning, he goes, and I did the same thing. I tried it right away, and it's nowhere near as bad as he said it would be. <laughs> so to me, right, when you first, so let's talk about what happens when you bottle whiskey, right? So whiskey sits in a barrel for years. In this case, 10 years was the youngest whiskey. So for 10 years, this whiskey sat, Right. And oil, water, and alcohol all have different mashes, or all have different uh, masses, excuse me. So the weight difference is different. So the oil floats, right? Then they take that barrel off the rack, and they roll it down the filtration, and they squeeze it through a screen, and it gets gravity injected in through a shower head into a bottle until there's two inches of headspace. 
and then a three-quarter inch cork gets shoved into that two inches of headspace. It creates immense pressure. And what's happened is that whiskey is all jumbled up inside that bottle. It's nothing like it was in the barrel. It tastes nothing like it did in the barrel. So when they pop that cork in there, it puts tons of pressure in there, and it suspends that whiskey in that temporary state. So when you have that first pour and you pop that top and you have a little bit taken out of it, it creates more headspace. Next, net pour. Correct. It's, it's the truth. You know, people get pissed off about it, but the truth is it's a very real thing. So what ends up happening is, is that whiskey is astringent when you first pop it. It's spicy. It's hot. The oils have not risen up into the upper column in that whiskey. So when you take that first pour out and you relieve the pressure inside that bottle and then you put the cork back in, it doesn't have near the pressure it did before. So the oils start to rise. And what happens is they mute the heat, they mute the astringency, and it makes it come into magically into balance about a week after you've had that first pour. And you'll notice it dramatically with this one being as oily of a whiskey as it is. Now, the reason people think that it's not a real thing is because normally those people are tasting a chill-filtered whiskey. A proofed-down, chill-filtered whiskey will not change nearly as dramatically as a cash-strength, oily whiskey will. Well... Also, um, <laughs> uh, some a lot of times master mas- distillers also aren't a big fan because one sometimes when it's bottled, although it, it but I really think that when it's suspended and then it's shipped and shook and then it's set into a, a warehouse and heated up and then it's shipped to the liquor store and then it sits on the shelf. All that has something to do with it. Um, and then, so, but a, a, a distiller is like, it just comes to them, right? They bottle it and it never leaves. They, it used to be it had to, but it doesn't. And then they can open it and, you know, if you just, you know, whatever, it's, it's, it's gone. But I will say, the first time I ever encountered this is I had a bottle of Weller Foolproof. It was a store pick. And I drove it around Kentucky in my truck for two days in the hot Kentucky heat where I was stopping and it's air conditioned and whatever. And we tasted it on a podcast with, uh, I got a Steve Coombs and he's a, he's, you know, and he didn't like it. He, he was like, whatever, but I left the bottle with him. Okay. And he's like, about a week later he comes, he goes, I don't know what you did today. What you were driving that around, but once it settled down and, Weller Foolproof is a weeded bourbon. He goes, it's fantastic. And I, you know, I've I've also letting it sit and it oxidizes too, having that not that pressurized air that whatever it is, all those things that got shook up, they 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 go not the oils, but then also it it um you know, God, I'm having trouble exactly whiskey. I can't say my words, no, you're right, but, but um, it 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 um outgasses too into that air. So then you've got all those chemicals sitting in that air on top on with the with the oils, right, and keeping it. But those chemicals are there. So if you don't open it up and let that out, then you put fresh air in and drop it down. And you, it's got a chance, right? So a lot of times you'll see me sit here and swirling quite a bit, and to me it mimics a bottle being open, right? So as you proofed it down just a little bit through oxygen, right, which is what's happening here, it mutes a little bit of astringency as well, allows the oils to shine. So when you first pop a bottle, you'll see me swirl quite a bit. It's the same thing. But it's not exactly the same as letting a bottle open up, but what you'll notice is the oil of the sweetness and the viscosity of a bottle that's opened up is dramatically more than a fresh bottle. Right. So this particular bottle has been opened since November. 
And I can tell you at this point, now that it's, and it's, and it's been sitting now half with, it has gone more towards the Kentucky, not that it, that I'm not saying, but the, the big Kentucky way of doing stuff. Whereas there's a lot of fruit initially, there's not a lot of fruit right now. And um, there's no astringency, but there's some delicious, what I would say, aged um, oak. It's not tannic. It's got that sweet char taste. What do you, what do you think about it, whiskey? That's why I spent $249 on a bottle. <laughs> oh, we appreciate the support. We really do. Yeah. Obviously, we want to do big things in the future, and we have to build our brand at the same time. So we're, uh, we're working well, on that. That's funny, because, you know, people don't really understand. You know, there are some brands besides yours that are coming to market. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I'm starting to sound all serious. Um, anyway, uh, there's some brands coming to market right now that are a little bit more of an aged product. It's not young, like... Right. You know, a lot of Colorado bourbons are two years, you know, two years old. Uh, you know, an old bourbon in Colorado is four years. And there's a lot of product down in Kentucky that's four years and coming into the marketplace. Mm-hmm. When you have something this old, they don't understand what the economics are, really. I mean, I think a 10-year barrel right now is going to run you around seven grand or something like that. Is that correct? It's not. It's not cheap. It's definitely expensive. It depends on who you purchase yeah, so- through and... You know, and then and how much you get, right? In the aging, you burn half of that 53 gallons in the aging process. That leaves, you know, potentially 26 gallons or 64 fluid ounces in a, in a gallon. You do the math and you divide that by the 25.4 ounces that goes into a bottle. My dog is having a hyperspaz right now. But anyway, you do that math and you end up with like 64 freaking bottles. Mm-hmm. And you just spent seven, eight grand on a barrel. Yeah. I mean... I don't think people that are drinking the whiskey that see that $200 price point right now, I don't think they understand the economics behind what it takes to bring a aged product to the marketplace unless you laid it down 10, 12, 13 years ago. Well, those same people are out there complaining about spending, you know, $3,000 on a 94 proof fan winkle. So, I mean, it's like, guys, I'm putting out a retail product that nobody else has on the market right now. Nobody. There's no weeded bourbon that's a cash strength on the market that's bought still. That is the same age class that I have out right now. Well, I don't. I don't think there's a. I don't think there's a weeded bourbon that's cast strength at that age. The only one that's kind of close is uh, those cellar aged from Makers. That's bought still. That's the only one I found that's even remotely in the same age bracket. Um, Weller's a uh, William Lee Weller's obviously a, a column still distillate, and it's just night day difference in those whiskeys. You may as well be well, comparing, you know. Yeah, you can't. There's nothing to compare. Their 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 goals are different. It's completely different. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one thing that the category of pot still bourbon and and column still bourbon, although some can can kind of get they kind of blend in, but there's the categories are so separate. You right. know, it's not something you know one one. They're just two different. One's a batch. Although you know, it's like, it, yeah, there's 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 no way to compare. So I can, I call this marrying with a purpose, right? Like you can blend where you just take huge racks, dump them all together, and have a consistent product. But I'm not trying to have a consistent product. I want an awesome product that's different every single time. Well, but but when you have a a limited release, I really find that that's and we were talking about Little Book, but no matter what you think of it. 
it's different every time. It's different whiskeys. It's different blending. He's, it's like it's not the same thing. He's not going for this every year. It's going for something different, which brings in all different types of whiskey drinkers. Uh, Blood Oath's another one, right? Yep. That That is just like he's pulling from everywhere. You don't know what it is, but when you taste it, from year to year, there's really good batches and there's really bad batches. It, but somebody who isn't, uh, you know, some someone who loves over-oaked whiskey is going to love a batch that's someone that's not. There's just no way to do it. Now, I say over-oaked, but some people, you know, they, they, they don't mind it. That's what they're looking for. Now, we also can get down to it is that where are you in your whiskey drinking experience? Like if you're 18 years old, I, it's very fa- hard to find an 18-year-old that can drink a barrel strength bourbon and not think it's hot. Right. Like they're just all they taste is the heat because their taste buds haven't had 20, 30 years to mellow out. They just tasting. Yeah. So, so, you know, that's, and, and I think we all experienced that when we were kids, you know, when we were drinking, we thought 80 proof Jack Daniels, I was always trying to sip through it, not to taste it. That was my goal. Cause it was hot. Right. So to me, like now it tastes like water <laughs> to me. It's like, I explained it that bourbon is a hiking trail with campsites along the way. Right. You find things that you like and you peel off and you'll drink them for a while, but then you'll try something else you like and you're on to the next one. And so it's it's very much like that. So in the very beginning, what you drank in the very beginning and thought was awesome, and if you went back and tried it now, you'd laugh at yourself for it. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And but so but but uh, what I don't like is when someone tries to judge somebody who's at that point. Right. Let them come this way too. Oh. That's what it is. That that's where the new market comes for all this stuff. As people, everybody's always evolving into it. So that's one of the things that you want to keep doing. Keep that wave going. Yeah, to me, the scary day will be when there's no new people. That will be a very scary day. When the when the new crop of people just is non-existent, it's a bad day for bourbon. So, <laughs> Well, it's just like baseball was feeling that a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? That you don't have the kids quite, you know, like you used to going to the game because it's so overpriced, you know. Yeah. But, okay, so let's get, let's get on to... Robert, you can get it on the bourbon concierge or sharedpour.com. Uh, I think they still have inventory of it. It's 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 delicious. So I mean, it's it's got all the age you want yeah. at this point. Uh, there's just some rich. Um, it has uh, like I want to say it's not so much. It's like a mixture of caramel and chocolate with that richness of the to. It's it's taking on a toasted barrel taste, or there's a little bit. What, what would you say? Like a really light um, nut. Uh, like a light, light pecan just there. It's all there, and it's not how it tasted just a month ago. It's you so know, good. it's all, and that's what I love about a bottle that's this good and how it how it goes about, you know, yeah. evolving. It's constantly, it's so complex. It kind of, every time you taste it, it's something different, which I absolutely love. You know, you hear people say they want a complex whiskey all the time, but then they can't describe what complex really means. And to me... Complex is like uh, having a bunch of different flavors, but then when you go back to try it again, having a completely different experience. And every time you try it, you have a different experience. Right. From start or even just f- during the glass. It's like if, you, if you're pulling multiple flavors out of different points, you know, your front palate, your mid palate, your cheeks, the roof of your mouth, then your finish, the burn. I love it when something finishes one way and then the next time, the next sip, 
you'll pick something else up. Yeah. And then there's sometimes your palate's shocked and all of a sudden you're like tasting peach and you're like, what's going on? And then the next one, it's like chocolate. Okay, that's what it should have tasted like. Where I got the peach from, I don't know. But yeah. All right. So um, we talked about where you can get it. Yep. It's it's almost on the verge of selling out. But one really good thing is, is you brought this along and you've brought some what's coming soon yeah. with you. And let's go about, let's just talk about what's coming soon. Well, up next is the non-weeded version of this. So what we're going to try here is there are 11, this was not one of them, 11 different barrel samples here. Jesus. And your mission is to blend in your glass something killer out of them. They're all different, different ages. They're all rye bourbons. They're not weeded bourbons. Um, there are 10, 11, and 12-year barrel samples there. 10, 11, and 12. And they're all rye bourbon. Bourbon. Yeah. So they're not rye whiskey. They're rye bourbon. They're just not weeded bourbon. And I, I differentiate between the two because we've been drinking weeded bourbon with Old Stubborn. So Old Stubborn is going to be a cash-strength whiskey, a pot still whiskey. That's our goal with Old Stubborn. There'll be different expressions of it. I'm wondering. <laughs> this is going to be fun. All right. The first one is... Where do, you, do you have the proof on it or no? Okay. The proof. I don't, didn't proof them. Okay. No problem. Most of them are going to be. Well, wait, I'll shake them up and look at the bubbles. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's over 100 proof. Tanya's <laughs> been watching Moonshiners too much. <laughs> Shite. Uh, you know, Roy, uh, Royce Neely came to the release, so it was really nice to see him. Yeah, Royce is a great guy. Yeah. He sure is. <sighs> I really enjoy it. His wife's really nice too, Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. We we definitely we've had Rebecca on a couple times. Yeah, she's great. All right, here we go. So I can point you out the nationals are sitting here watching you drink. Shake that jar and tell you the proof of it. <laughs> so what he's going to do now is take different amounts of it. What I do when I blend is I know the weights of the barrels. I know the ages of the barrels and I evaluate them from there. And the reason I need to know the weights is so that I know the yields. Should I just drip this on my tongue so I can just taste it? Yeah, whatever you want. However you think you need to I mean, if I have to pour it in a glass, this, we're going to be here for, like you said, you're going to be watching Tiny drink and why do we have to watch me drink? Oh, no. <laughs> That one's probably put it in the glass. <laughs> that one's that one. Like, I swear to God, I put that one and hit my tongue, and I I'm still tasting it. Well, that's a finish. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it burned a hole through my tongue. Oh, it made it hot. What? It might be hot. I mean, this could be up to 130. That was hot. That's good. Don't drink out of eyedroppers. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Blenders do though. I guess we're not real men. <laughs> so these two was this that was the one or was this the one? What did you take the one that I put aside to taste? No. So this is the one I put aside. Alright, so this is the one. Do I have to taste all eleven? Well, are you gonna blend all eleven? 
Well, I might not blend all 11. I'll taste them all to see what I'm going to blend. This is the part with blending. Everything you do is going to change it. Nope. <laughs> That's like Booker's. Booker's is good. Oh, shit. I like Booker's. Uh, you didn't knock anything off. <laughs> I like Booker's, but I don't think I want to blend Booker's. Really? No. I mean, tonight. <laughs> so, okay, that... I mean, that had the definite, really barrel effect of the wood and the nuttiness. So, when I look at this, what I'm looking at when I blend is, I don't necessarily look for a complete package that I blend. I look for components. I'm looking for tasting good. So, so far, really good. Three tastes really good. I'll keep that Booker's in there for, for like, back, for a back, uh... Did you taste all these already? Mm -hmm. So you know these are all good. Mm -hmm. I didn't taste them when I dropped. Did you I throw a real skunker in there just for Jeff? So just the one he didn't like. On his tongue and be like, he already <laughs> did it. The one he didn't like. He did. I mean, that one That one just like, I sort of got it was um, alien acid, and it just burned a hole straight through the bottom of my tongue. Like, my tongue has a hole in it from it. It was like, it, it was like it, it's still right where it hit. It's still stinging. Do you know why I put that one in there? You, you really put one in like that? Intentionally. And that's the one? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> why? Because it needed to have some tingle to it when you go to taste it. The other ones are so oily that when the oil takes over on them, there's no heat to the whiskey at all. It needs to have some sort of heat to it. This is the mellowest one. This one is just plain. Mm -hmm. Do you need plain ones in there to, to fill so the... So, when, when you go to blend, you're creating a picture... A puzzle picture, and each piece has a different purpose. So, would that be an an extender? So, when they're bland like that, like you said, it's because it's oily. Oil hides heat, lengthens finish, and makes it chewy in the mids. Okay. Cherry. What's up? I'm liking that. Hey, I did my blend. Here it is. <laughs> Barrel pick. I a bottle of 10, 10 W30 in there so you can really see what oil is all about. <laughs> so oil as such, to me, is one of the most important parts of whiskey. Right? And not a lot of people talk so about it. So you're always putting 10 W30 for 10 W30 yeah. in there, right? Well, I mean, that's why when people flavored whiskey back in the day, they used glycerin, right? <laughs> you know, right. It's sweet and, and oily. And shoe polish. So if you can if you can have that naturally, why wouldn't you naturally gravitate towards sweet and oily? So that's earthy. Yes. I knew that one was earthy. So I'm like pretty much spot on so far. Like, but that's earthy. What do you use earthy for? I like earthy. So if you notice, a lot of the barrels and blends have that earth flavor. I like that flavor. So you like blends, the I, the ones. I like some blends. Well, everybody likes some, but the, like I've I've had blends that are like. Rated a 92, and I've had a Blanton's rated a 64. By whom? Me. I don't rate them, so I... But, I ra but that's my that's kind of our thing here, to rate them. Yeah. But but it's like, I had them side by side, open them at the same time, and one, it was like drinking two different whiskeys, like, completely. Oh, well, yeah. Like, it wasn't even... Uh, it almost didn't even taste like the same mash bill. Single barrels. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, but that's all barrel that you're tasting. Well, that's the same thing with all single barrels. You get some, you win some, and you lose some. Well, that's the idea, right? 
And then their goal is just to put it out good whiskey. Did you ever try the 25-year Van Winkle? Mm-mm. It's very earthy. I like that. Can I ask you a question? That's sweet. Where do you think a guy like me would ever get a honey? You just tried a whole bunch of barrel samples nobody else tried. <sighs> yes, but we're talking about Van Winkle. Okay, they're just whiskey. Yes, but you have to have access to the whiskey. I've had I, I have access to... I've Freddie, Harlan... Never got to taste. I, so I'm, sounds like you, you need to said, stop hanging out with Freddie and start hanging out with Julian. <laughs> no, I, I have not. We, uh, well, you could introduce me to Julian. That's fine. We can call him real quick. You can call Julian. You, Jeff, you've had access to that as whiskey. It just you didn't have access to the wallet. No, not. I've never seen a twenty-three ever. We're calling Julian Van Winkle. Julian, he's on vacation. <laughs> he knows that he's a excellent. <laughs> so, so Christy Atkinson, it, it, so we met her, and she knows Mark Carter. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, now it's Mark. Yeah. Just Mark. Yeah. They're kind I, of I, whatever. I, yeah. It's like whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, we were at the in Louisville and hanging out, and she she called Mark. And also, I'm just talking same kind of thing. Yeah, that's how it works because the industry is like that. But though. the industry is like that because this is an industry. It's it's not the music industry. It's not the sports industry. It's a bourbon industry, and although there is a certain amount of fame, the people in it are hardworking people making money. They're not doing something like athletically or music. They're doing something that involves. It's a plant and and creating and growing and whatever. They don't look at themselves as superstars. What I've learned is that industry people are just people. And the, the, yeah. the people that are outside of the industry hold them at a higher regard. That Every single person I've ever met in the industry has all been down to earth and normal people. From Eddie to Jimmy to Julian to everybody. Literally everybody. Harlan. Everybody. It doesn't matter. They're all just people. You know? So that's the bland. That's very so, true. All right, Everybody here we go. Taking us in, and and we've had such a good time, and it, it's just been surreal. Yeah. Uh, when you meet each and every one of them. Yeah. And, and they they're just as excited as we are. Just, yeah, absolutely. Just, and and especially like I say, you, you just get to sit down and talk with them about their product and, and about the history about it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that excites them just as much as it does us. Yeah. And they're all great people. And like I said, the master distillers are all great people. I just, to me personally, the people I hear people talk about who the most important person is in the distillery besides the person financing it. It's going to be the person that last tasted before you get it. You or, yeah, you're, these they're these four are the base. And, and just to just to let everybody know that's asking questions about uh, where they can get the old stubborn. It, uh, right now, uh, the bourbon concierge uh, does still have some because I just as uh, about five minutes ago as we were talking, I just ordered a backup bottle. Thank you. And it's on the way to South Carolina. <laughs> Thank you very so, much. <laughs> people are nice, nice to Nash when we go to the festivals because they think he's on a make-a-wish trip. Alright, so two of each of the base good ones. Alright. I'm going to do... You said to do... 
Now that's the scary one. Let's see. All right. One. Yeah, I'm doing this this week. I'll let you do it. I'm trying. We're going to do it, but then I want you to add in a touch of that scary one when it's done. Great. Once we taste what I've done. And that's the bland one right there. So I'm not going to add the bland or the scary one yet. Right? What about the dirt one? Everybody needs a little dirt. Now. No, Man, I, I, I left that so out. So the reason I asked if you had tried the 25-year Van Winkle is because it has that sweet, earthy flavor problem. <sighs> and I absolutely love that bottle. And that's not yeah, because of a... The year has definitely, I call it dirt. Yeah, earthy yeah, is yeah. a nicer word. Yeah. All right, so we're at the point of sipping. So I'll give it a swirl real good and put it in your glen because you want to do that. It spins. It spins. All right. I'm kind of excited. You told him. You told him to sit. That Glenn. Since <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm gonna pull a Glenn from the bottom. Look at that. Yep. All right. You want some of this too, right? Good nose. I'm done. That's some damn good whiskey. That's amazing. But you notice what it doesn't have? It doesn't have. Add three drops in your spice. You do realize this? This hey guys, this actually tastes like the Elijah Craig barrel pick that we did. It's got that honey. There's a ton of where there was no honey on my tongue until now. Wow, didn't it? Like this bit of honey. Mm. Maybe you should write down that uh, that recipe and you can call it Bald Mueller. That's right. Now try try to add a couple drops of the earth and that spicy into your glass and swirl it up. So here's the the earth. Just a couple. Right, drops. that's the earth. Maybe, maybe you could call it the bearded lady. <laughs> so that was funny. That was actually a smooth antler pick. Do you remember that? Christopher uh, Carlson did that pick. The bearded lady? Yeah. It was a 93 proof smooth antler pick that was really famous. <sighs> I've never heard of smooth antler. Oh, man, I've done 11 barrels of private picks from them over the years. Freaking great. That MGP they had back in the day was just some of the best I've ever had, hands down. All right, add a little bit more spice than the. Mm-hmm. All right, Get do you, you want it? Oh, you already drank it. That yeah, was good. All of a sudden, it's so spicy that the smell just—it it almost the smell actually ethanol burns your nose. Just right. It oh the 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 spice overpowers the nose like you, you're just getting a. Have you ever noticed when you nose a glass at every point in the glass you smell it's supposed to different? Oh yeah, but the best part is if you're ever gonna do the yeah oh yeah definitely you do the nose. North I always do the down here and then come to the top 
to pull all the, the, the other stuff out. But at the same time, when the glass is finished, that's when everybody should do the nose. Yeah, it's okay. not based off of, like, everybody does the nose right away. Why do it right away? It, as it settles is when it really, you can start to pull those flavors out. I like that. It, I, so I treat it like a compass, north, south, east, and west. And every point you smell, it's going to smell differently. And which nostril? Tonight, my left nostril. You have, one, is, you have a dominant nostril. And they'll sure. switch. Yeah. I'm picking, okay. I still pick up the honey. All right, let's see what I did to this. See what happens. It may be better, it may not be. Nose got better. That's killer. It's a lit. I think if I was going to do it, I would back it off. It got sweeter. It did because (laughs) it's being put up against, but it lost. It's not. It's sweeter in a a different way. So now, if I was blending, okay, I would have gone back to the cherry and dropped a little bit more cherry in. And then I would have added probably two-thirds of the spice one. Mm -hmm. Because right now, the spice does contrast the sweetness. That's where the sweetness is coming. But it's a little bit what's left on my tongue right now. Mm -hmm. It's got a little bitterness where the first didn't. So the other thing to keep in mind is that there's also five more barrel samples we haven't used. So what these 11 barrels are... Right, with plus the one extra that I brought, which is this is the extra one. But these are the barrels are all the next batch of little stubborn. Oh, so you said all these samples are the next batch of old stubborn, and it's going to be old stubborn, not weeded. It'll be the 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 reg, the rye bourbon old stubborn. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So do you have it? No, this hadn't been done yet. These are the barrel samples from it. Holy shit, you just let me sample the barrels? Really? Yeah, thanks for having me on show. Awesome. Which which blows my mind is, is you've tasted through these already, Mm -hmm. and you already knew what it was. I mean, were you just making me look good, or was I actually picking up the flavors? If you notice, there was no two barrels that were the same in here. Right. No. Every one of them was drastically different. I would say there was probably two that were close. Where well, there's that, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. But then there was cherry. There was. They're all the same distillate. Oh, I know. I know that. But yeah. So that's pot still whiskey. You notice how different every single one of them was. How many were from the same year and same batch? Do you know? So out of there, there are three twelves. And four tens and four elevens. So, so you know, I gotta tell you, one of my pet peeves is when somebody just has a name and they keep using it over and over again, even though there's different stuff in the bottle. Yeah. So, do you have any desire to call it like somewhat stubborn or semi-stubborn? <laughs> so, or on this slightly, one, slightly mature stubborn or well, so on this one, what we're doing is a gold foil, and it does not have weeded on it at all. So, it's clearly not the weeded bourbon. We made it completely different. But it's still under the old stubborn because it's pot still whiskey. So in this case, the old stubborn line will be pot still whiskey if I have my way. That's what it's going to be. So I'm not saying that's going to be the only line we have because we will have other lines of whiskey. But 
for now, the old stubborn is the pot still whiskey. You should proof it down to 95 and call it somewhat stubborn. So my deal with pot still whiskey is it hates water. It hates water and it hates ice. Try it with yours. You'll see why. You have the barrels though, right? Oh, I have plenty of barrels. Yeah. That's what I mean. Uh, if I ever was to do what you were doing, one of the things that I've seen is when you get a barrel and there's a certain amount, if you're going to do a distillate that's a lower proof that's not barrel strength, I would add the water to the barrel to proof it down as it ages a little bit further, you know, so that it's not just adding water straight to it. So to me, when I marry whiskey, right, blending is the art of controlling variables, okay? My goal is to control every little detail that I possibly can to the absolute tiniest one that I possibly can. Because by controlling the variables, you control the outcome. When you introduce whiskey back into a barrel again, you no longer control the outcome. Uh, Or water back into the whiskey in the barrel. But you can taste, if you're trying to get to a lower proof, you can taste it along as it keeps going and then know when it's ready. Opposed to when you're adding it, you add it, you know, uh, Greg Schneider, when he's proofing down, he starts and he just goes down to to and he says that there's a point where he knows that the amount that's been added has actually increased the flavor a certain way you know what i mean as far as where he started to whatever and if you go too far which you don't want to do <laughs> he just says you'll just be it'll just be like okay that's the proof and that determines the proof that's why being just 90 proof or or 94 proof that's a whole that's a bullshit thing to do he said it's like if you have 115 you're dropping down and at 110 you know you just hit its sweet spot you put it out at 110 you don't take it all the way down to 100 because you want to take it down to 100 unless it's bottled in bond which then it has to be well if you notice that it's it's especially with pot still whiskey that it just flames it when you add water to it it turns so incredibly hot and astringent it's unbelievable and uh, the gentleman over there has a bottle. He can do it with his and just see exactly what I'm talking about. The minute you add any water to pasta whiskey, it it gets scary. So I don't like proofing it down at all. I, I'm going to stay He's with talking the talking about you, Nash, because there's nobody calls me a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have a bottle of it with me. <laughs> but it's, it's Mine's sort of... sitting up there with him. Right down on the floor under the Christmas tree. <laughs> you would be correct. <laughs> I might just as long as I don't wake up some morning and think it's Christmas. <laughs> you better not. I won't. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean, so out of I did how many out of the eleven bottles? Eleven, but there was a couple more that you had. I brought one extra. Yeah. Okay. I one extra sample. That was just a twelve-year barrel sample. I really like that one. Just as 12-year barrel? So when you do that, and you do that, are you going to release it as a single barrel? Um, probably later this year. Okay. And, uh, okay, so it'll be your own single barrel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're not doing it. We don't have enough barrels to do picks right now. I mean, I, I have a few hundred, but not enough really to do picks. So we're yeah. gonna, we'll get to there in the future, but right now we don't. Yeah, when every year, you, instead of taking the profits and actually making some money, you reinvest into more barrels. And then, so one day you'll have some. 
And maybe make some money, right? Most broke guy sitting on a mountain of whiskey in the world. (laughs) Hey, there's a lot of broke people out there doing. I mean, all you got to do is talk to Kenny Coleman. He's like, what's the difference? It's like when you start a brand. Yeah, when I didn't have a brand, I wasn't $6 million in debt. (laughs) But, you know, as we all know, debt is just, you know, it's you wake up in debt or not in debt, the day goes on, right? I'm very lucky to have some great partners. Yeah. That's excellent, and and people who understand what what you're doing and what where you're going, yeah, you know, they get it. They get it. We're all, we're, everyone on my staff was an enthusiast before we ever worked in the industry. Every single one of us. Yeah, I mean that is one of the reasons why I think OHL is ki- killing it these last couple of years is because all the people working are bourbon enthusiasts, and, and they. I'm going to be honest. Ohio should be worshiping endemic. <laughs> We love we we do worship Anne. <laughs> she is fantastic. She's the reason Ohio's doing well. I don't care what anybody else says. She's the reason. Ohio. Well, she understands the market, and then also Jim also listened to her. Just you know, and now you got. But so we got some things coming up. You know, Jim's stepped over to the other the other um, legal part, but you know, turning that whole industry around in Ohio. I think. Yeah. She's really done a fantastic. Well, nothing. I, I just she turned me around. <laughs> it's just knowing Anne. Anne will turn anybody around. You know, she walks into our room, and the love of of whiskey with that woman is just unbelievable. And then she's able to express herself, plus just enjoy what she's doing. You know, you never feel like this is a job with her. You know, so it's excellent. So any, so what do you got left? Anything, or did we cover it all? You, you had me blend. Did I do all right, or did, did or was this just rigged that no matter what I would have done, you knew it was going to be good? Well, yeah, I already pulled the samples for you, and we already knew they were going to the next batch, so they better be good, or we're going to have trouble. Well, but but <laughs> if you mix them wrong, isn't that a possibility? Or is there any? Does it ever mix wrong? Uh, yeah, but that's kind of where. So did that. I mix it wrong? No, you did great. Okay, <laughs> so. tasted good. All right. Drink it how you like it. Isn't that what you told me when we started? <laughs> well, that's exactly. I would have. I would have drank it both ways. That, would, that adding both in, but understanding blending. I mean, Smart. that's understanding how things affect things. How every little thing affects whiskey. How how the environmental affects whiskey. How the filtration. How the proofing. How the water. How the aging. Where the barrels are located. What time of year you married them. Everything affects it. Well, I think also the, the, the other thing that you could talk about is um, the person who's doing it has to love whiskey. Absolutely. If they're doing it as a job, it's going to taste like they did it as a job. Right. There's a passion in this industry that comes through. And, and, you know, there's a lot of different places doing it. But when you talk to the people that are doing it, big or small, uh, there's very few places that don't have passion passion and if they don't have passion i'm a really good guy i'm not going to point it out but i'm just not going to promote it you know what i mean that's a, i mean you know what made me famous was a loose word but what made me well known at cork and bottle wasn't the amount of barrels that i picked it was the amount of distilleries that i didn't choose barrels at you know when i went to distilleries and and you, you go there and you talk to your consumers and you're like hey I'm going to put you out something that's awesome every time, right? And then you don't, you lose those consumers. And I think distilleries need to remember that too. Your consumers are your lifeline. Like if you don't take care of the enthusiasts the most, where are you going to end up? You know? 
Yeah, and and part of it is, I mean, it's it's as you know when you're picking, it's tricky. You do have to have a certain amount of large distilleries mixed in with your small distilleries because of the fact that if you're just going to pick small distilleries that people are trying for the first time new, you got to get them excited because you did a really good pick at a big distillery too then they trust your small distillery aspect it's as you know it was just it's it was something that you had to do and then you start blending barrels and then coming up with batches that then that's awesome for the people because now you have 750 people in line but you did a thousand bottles so everybody walked away opposed to how it gets distributed here in in uh, ohio uh six six bottles of it for you know 80 people in line just six bottles you know there's other stuff but there's you know 74 people went away depressed where you were like making everybody walk away i don't want to make people unhappy i want them to be happy. yeah exactly (laughs) exactly so when i did the you know when i did that stuff i released online specifically just so the enthusiasts could get it i wanted you all to have an opportunity at it i didn't need some wine buyer that worked that bought cases of wine at kroger's to get my bottle well but just think about this you did a you said it was a weller right you did a three barrel weller with this right you distributed more bottles to that liquor store than buffalo trace was distributing at your liquor store oh yeah well, like, you, oh, everybody gosh. walked away with three barrel Weller and then Buffalo Trace is like giving you a case. Yeah, they weren't very, there was a lot of unhappy people. <laughs> I'm certain Buffalo Trace heard about that one. <laughs> like I always say, if you want to make somebody unhappy, marry them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. So it, oh so either we'll finish up. You, you got a question? Talking to my wife. <laughs> Do you got a question, Nash, at all? Or, no, I just asked Carl if he had been talking to my wife. You should be quiet. <laughs> You're getting yourself in trouble. No. Anyways, Super Nash, do you have a question for Ed, or are you good? I just, I just had one question. Or actually, I just wanted to bring up uh, just one thing that uh, I had noticed that uh, in 2017. Uh, Ed, that you had bought 23 private select barrels from Wild Turkey. Yeah, so there's two stories I need to tell before we hop off here. One, freaking amazing. Well, okay, so that was the year that Wild Turkey realized what was going on and cut it off to everybody, so I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> we, uh, we had a wild year. So I realized that it was very hard to get barrels back then. And so was what? And there at the time? A turkey? Yeah, because that's where she came from, Campari, in the barrel program with her and Bruce. If she did, it was, you didn't know. I, her. I didn't okay. know her. No, okay. I, I, Eddie and I were hanging out the whole time there. Like Eddie made it a point to always be able to come up to and we hung out and just had a okay. blast. But what I saw was a ten-year barrel that was available for purchase at retail that I could get picks on, and so I scheduled that year. When I realized it was open, I said, "How many more can I get in?" They said, "Well, how many more do you want to schedule?" So I scheduled one like. Two or three times a month. <laughs> Not thinking you were going to. Well, and then on top of that, I'd get five or six groups to go with me that would run barrels through Cork, and we'd just go take, you know, seven, eight barrels at a time every pick. So Campari loved me, the groups loved me, and then Campari realized, wait a minute, all of a sudden we don't have space for everybody else, and so they tried to limit us to one barrel, and I'm going, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that, was, that was fun, but yeah. And then the Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Do you all remember when that was $12? Yeah. 
Okay, well, you know why it's $35? I'm sorry. Let me just tell you right up front. <laughs> okay. I had this rep. His name was Rocky. He worked for Southern. Nicest guy in the world, but Rocky was an older gentleman. And they gave Rocky an iPad. And Rocky was not computer savvy, right? He's a super nice guy, but he was not the strongest computer guy. And so I went to go order more Heaven Hill Bottle and Bond at $12 a bottle. I thought it was a steal. And so I, I ordered several cases of it. He goes, oh, no, we're all out of it. He goes, oh, it doesn't look like we're getting anymore. They're going to discontinue it. And he had put in the wrong skew in there. And so I ordered, you know, I that last order, I think we had like 12 cases of it we ordered from them or whatnot. And I started telling everybody, you better get it now. It's going out of stock. It's going out of stock. And so they bought up all the inventory. They're like, what is this run on Heaven Hill bottling and bond all of a sudden? And then they pulled it down and raised the price on it. But it literally went crazy because we thought they were not going to continue it anymore at Cork and And just quite frankly, initially, it was it's changed yeah. at the higher price because this this last go round wasn't. Uh, I'm not saying it was bad, but. That's for, 12 bucks, it was fantastic. Not, yeah, but it, was, it wasn't It was even 12 bucks good this time as far as what it was when it was 12 bucks. Gotcha. The flavor profile is definitely not there. I'm like, what? Wait, that's not the same thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, something's going on with All it. All right, Whiskey, you got a question? All right. Thanks. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, of course. You got a question, Whiskey? How, how, how can you spend all evening with that guy? He's asking you. <laughs> and I'm asking you. <laughs> I knew what he was doing. It would have been a blast. All right, there you go. There's the question from Whiskey. I got to tell you, Tiny, I've been pretty good tonight because you said the word nuts a lot. And, I'm just, and then there was putting stuff in your mouth and... The fact that you have Ed sitting in front of that giant thing of anal beads that you got on the back wall. What? <laughs> you can't even see move that. forward a little bit. <laughs> now, I've been pretty good tonight. Yeah, you have. I agree. All right. I have to agree with that, too. Yeah, sometimes it's worse. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh Thank you, Ed, for coming on and coming down here. Really appreciate it. Uh, I think everybody's uh, listening was able to pick some stuff up on your brand. You know, uh, we're looking forward to you know that this winding down. Plus, this uh, when do you you got a date? Uh, I know it's not blended or anything, but you have a shooting goal this spring sometime. Sometime in the spring, it won't be too terribly long, but yeah. Okay, so then we'll be getting the next release of Old Stubborn uh, Rye Bourbon coming out real soon. Uh, you got a pre, a pre, uh, all eleven barrels that are going into the next batch are sitting right in front of me. So uh, it's almost like it's a what would you say a pre-launch, right? A pre-launch. But I will tell you, uh, it's going to be fantastic. There's no doubt. That's there is no doubt. All right. So, we're the Scotchy Bourbon Boys. Remember, uh, rem- <laughs> www.scotchy... No, 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 not yet. <laughs> so, you, could, you could do it there. www.scotchybourbonboys.com for all Scotchy Bourbon Boys everything. And then also uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and X. But remember... 
like, listen, comment, leave good feedback because that all helps us out uh, with more listeners and uh, good bourbon equals good friends and good times. Thanks for coming tonight. Remember, drink responsibly. Don't drink and drive and live your life. What is it, Nash? Little Steve-O's going to take us out. All right. Is he? There we go. Scotchy Bourbon Boys fans, this is Alan Bishop, Indiana's Alchemist of the Black Forest. So I'm tuning in here today to tell you all about the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute channel on YouTube. If you're at all interested in the art of distilling, whether it be home distilling or professional distilling, and the intense geekery that goes into that process, then check out the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute on YouTube. I promise you're going to learn something you didn't know before about the arts.